Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Lord, we thank you for today. We thank you for the rain this morning. Um, we pray for more gentle rain. Uh, and we also pray that your love, your kindness, and your spirit would rain down on us now in this time we have together. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, our readings for this uh, Sunday are quite, um, at f well, they have a common theme. And the common theme is sacrifice. And what Peter is reacting against is the concept that Jesus would present himself to his people, the Jews, and to the world as a suffering sacrifice that the Messiah, he's finished his mission in Galilee, and now he's set his heart and his mind towards Jerusalem and to the work that awaits for him there, the journey to the cross. And um, this is the first of four times that Jesus predicts his arrest and crucifixion. And, you know, when someone you love tells them they're going to suffer, um, it's absolutely natural to say, hang on. Don't jump to conclusions. We don't know it might turn out this way. Peter goes a little, little uh, further down that line, and, and uh, it's, um, you know, you, I'm sure we've all heard many a sermon on it. And, and yet our reading in Romans speaks to a different kind of sacrifice. It speaks to a living sacrifice. And it's incredible to put the two together and to look at what it is that Jesus endured the cross for to enable us to be able to do. Um, and in particular fashion, none of this is easy. And so uh, I'd like to just spend a few moments going through our Romans passage and just highlighting what it looks like to, to live as a living sacrifice. Now, what is a sacrifice? Uh, it's a word and a, a practice we um, 
don't often do. I, I often create burnt sacrifices that's usually inattention caused, in, uh, caused by inattention at the smoker as uh, the brisket turns into charred coal. Um, that's not what we're really talking about. Uh, but a sacrifice is something given out of devotion to God. And Romans 12, verse 1, which we didn't have read this morning, um, really kind of is the first cut against our Western culture. Romans 12, 1 says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Now, for a long time, I thought that that meant that every individual had the job of presenting themselves as a living sacrifice. But that's really, that individualistic look is really a product of our Western culture. The force of this passage, while we are all called to behold Jesus and become more like him, the, the sense here is that there is one living sacrifice and it's the church. So that as the world looks at the community gathered around the name of Jesus, they would see that this community is not just one person, not just one family, but a group of families that is living, uh, devoted in such a way to Jesus that their lives are different to the world around them. And what does that difference look like? Well, let's turn with me, um, uh, would you, to your, uh, your Bibles, your devices, Again, I warn you, there are people behind you who will see Candy Crush. Nobody plays that anymore, but, you know, people are watching. So, or, or your Bibles to Romans 12, verses 9. We'll start at verse 9. Um, Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Um, this chapter is a description of the life that is pleasing to God. Um, it's really a description, Paul's description of what he saw Jesus do. What he saw Jesus do. So not surprisingly, the first few verses deal with love. A community marked by response to all that God has done to us is known for its love. Love that is genuine, love that reflects uh, the kind of devotion that family members show each other, um, and love that is, is genuine that doesn't reduce to sentimentalism. It's a love that is free from nostalgia. You know, oh, if we could just recreate what it was like when we were kids, all would be well. No, not so. This is a love that is genuine and a love that is rooted in the love of Jesus. And it's a, a love that seeks to show honor. And it's a love that seeks to um, put others first and is willing to, um, to not be in the spotlight it's a love that serves. I was, um, if you were here on Thursday night, you would have heard me briefly talk about, 
I was invited by a friend when I was in London to go into His Majesty's prison, which boasts in the name of Wormwood Scrubs. And so you can imagine what it was like going in. It's a maximum security prison, and the people in there shouldn't, the men in there really shouldn't be seen in the light of day for a very long time because of their crimes. And they had just finished their Alpha course. They were going to have a baptism service, which presents a number of logistical problems, as you can imagine, in a maximum security prison. You can't smuggle things into prison. So they went through the appropriate approval channels to get an inflatable pool to be taken in. And uh, the first job when we got into the chapel was to set up the inflatable pool and then to fill it with water. Um, And that was harder than you would imagine. And then uh, shortly before that happened, I was notified that, there, that I was the preacher. You know, good friends can presume, right? And so there we were, and I'm, I'm sat in front of 50 uh, men who, again, shouldn't be seen in the light of day. And they're looking at me, wondering, you know, who I am, what I'm doing, and I just start sharing. I say, look... We all know what it's like to be weak, and they all nod their heads, and we've all done things to make ourselves strong and powerful, they all nod their heads, and that's probably what led you here. And you know, the prison service in England, I don't know what here, is full of people who never did what they were charged for, so you know, they were shaking their heads, and I said, look, whether you're strong or not, or powerful or not, is irrelevant today. What is relevant is that when you get out, um, the people who love you are going to wonder, are you lovable? Are you loving? And will you be loving when you're reunited with those you've been separated for, for some of you a very long time? And they're looking at me, and I say, I'm going to be honest with you. As I look at you, you don't look loving. And, you know, the, I didn't plan that. That was an absolute Davism, as, they've, as Chris calls them. You know, I just kind of shot from the hip. But it arrested them. They're like, you know, he's right. And I said, let me tell you about someone who can make you strong, and that strength comes from love. And uh, anyway, we went on from there. And uh, uh, we baptized five men and the last one didn't quite understand the idea of going under the water. And so in a glorious display of, uh, of um, you know, clumsiness, the inflatable pool erupted and water just kind of went in every direction at once. And uh, it was hilarious. But that's the question, isn't it, that it really comes down to? Are we loving? You know, because we can do everything right. But if our hearts aren't tender, you know, the things that we do right can be done in such a way that, you know, they're not, they're just not loving. And so the mark of the Christian community is to be loving. The other thing about prison ministry is that it always feels wonderful to leave the prison. You know, when those 21 gates slam behind you and you're back into the green, you know, the fresh air, it's just always lovely. Anyway, some of you've, uh, well, d- done prison ministry, and um, you'll you know more about that. We move on in, uh, from there. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. There's something here about uh, the com- a community that isn't passive. 
And, and, it's, and there's something about a community that isn't striving to do God's work for him because he isn't moving fast enough. I've done that. But we see here there's a different rhythm, and it's the rhythm of obedience. It's the rhythm of being faithful. It's a, the rhythm that if God puts something on your heart, do it quickly. Because someone in need may be waiting for you to be obedient to what God has put on your heart. Do not be, live in harmony, oh, I'm moving ahead, sorry. Do not be fervent spirit, serve the Lord, rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, be constant in prayer. Uh, I don't pray for patience anymore. I pray that the Lord would give me the ability to make wonderful decisions in haste. Um, but there is something about patience, isn't there? Uh, and, and a patient community is a loving community. Um, I was part of a church once that told someone who was grieving to hurry up and get over it because their grief was inconvenient. What is that loving? Not so much. Not so much. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Uh, we see here in verse 14, bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Again, points to the teachings of Jesus. Rejoice with those who rejoice, weep with those who weep. And this is the call to the Christian community that isn't anywhere else in our society. Because when you're rejoicing, the last thing you want to do is come alongside someone who is mourning and enter into what they're going through. And when you're going through difficulty, people who are full of joy and happiness and and rejoicing are, from personal experience, are often more than mildly irritating. Because they've got everything going well and my life has turned to ash. But the Christian community, marked by the presence of the Father through the work of Jesus, is one that is loving. And it's not just the kind of love that fills your love tank. It's the love that is willing to enter in to what the other is going through. It's a love that is marked by the ability to rejoice with those who rejoice. And when we're rejoicing, we're even able to move into and be present to those who are mourning and vice versa. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil. Again, an allusion to Jesus' teaching. And then verse 18, which is uh, uh, wonderfully encouraging. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. It's a recognition that sometimes things break down in relationships, things happen, and as far as it depends on you, you can't get back to a place of peace. But if possible, if possible, live peaceably with one another. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says he. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. For by so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. It's a fascinating passage, a few verses. 
And the big idea is this, is that Jesus has put the day of judgment on hold until he returns. So vengeance and judgment are off the table for us. And we're in this period where people who deserve judgment can turn from their sins and receive forgiveness. And their transgressions can be wiped clean just like ours. And then it moves on to this idea of burning coals. And if you're familiar with Old Testament worship, coals were used in the presence of God as a sign of God's presence. And so what we have here is a sense that if we model our lives after the life of Jesus and can find a way as a community, because if you're going to try to work out the life of Jesus, you can't do it alone. You need help, I need help. But if when we're sinned against, we don't respond sinfully, if we're hurt by another and we don't respond by hurting them, and we can follow the way of Jesus, what happens is it creates room for the presence of God to move. Because even if we don't have access to someone's heart, they won't take our calls, they won't meet with us. We worship the one who has immediate access to everyone's heart. And if we're able to forgive, not excuse, but to forgive, that creates an environment where the presence of God can move. One of our big values here is hospitality. And um, it's almost a throwaway line in these verses, be hospitable. And if you look at what I just read to you, it's an impossible task. Only one person has been able to do it. And it took his life, and that was Jesus. And so to do these things, it ought to feel like our body's being torn apart because it took the cross in order for Jesus to, to make true life available to us. What makes it easier and the way to it is to receive from the Father and to receive as much as you can to receive as much as you can. And when we think of hospitality, it's different from entertainment. Um, when you're entertaining and you invite a number of guests, you have to make sure you have the right amount of wine, right? Because if you don't have enough wine and you can't serve everyone, then you're not entertaining. Now, when you're, you go to a friend's house and the host offers you a glass, maybe like this, you know, it's depending on the occasion, maybe it's an art opening, maybe it's, you know, a visit. It's absolutely normal, we're gonna save the carpet here, it's absolutely normal for the host to pour you some wine. Now, when you visit a friend, you know, that's, you know, it's, that, that shows that they want you there, but not the whole night. Right? You were here for a good time, but not a long time, you know? Um, now, if you're with friends you hadn't seen in a long time, they will keep filling your glass. Right? This says we're in no hurry. 
This says, relax. This says a number of things. What do we know of Jesus? Well, when the host keeps pouring and keeps pouring and keeps pouring, ah, just not enough. I was hoping to make it overflow. When your cup overflows, it tells you that you're in the presence of the king. It tells you you're in the presence of Jesus. But it also communicates they don't want you to leave. Now, if I'm honest, when I'm with God, I think I've got to be quick. I've got to be succinct. I don't have a lot of time because he's still trying to figure out the Middle East. I think of all the other problem areas we've created for him, you know, they just pick a few. And uh, when I'm at social gatherings, where there's a lot of wine, where there's entertaining going on, I think um, when I'm talking to someone, I look, see them look at their watch, I think, oh, they're waiting how long this conversation is going to be because they're worried that there's somebody else they need to talk to. Or I think, you know, are they just being polite and are they waiting to do something else? Am I just an inconvenience at this conversation? But when we're with God, Psalm 23 tells us my cup overflows. And when the cup overflows, it means he doesn't want you to leave. It means he's got no one else to talk to. It means he doesn't, he's not looking at his watch wondering, am I missing out on a better conversation somewhere else? It means he just wants you there. No pressure. The Middle East can wait. You have my full undivided attention. This is the idea of hospitality that Paul's talking about. And in order to be able to reflect a life that looks like a living sacrifice, we have to come and receive and spend time with the one who's in no hurry for us to leave his presence. It's so different, isn't it? It's so different from anything I have ever experienced. And it's only that kind of approach to life that really shapes us, that enables us to be a community that, where love is genuine. If the cup overflows and you're grieving, it validates you in your grief. If you're with someone when you're grieving and they're not looking at the clock and they seem to be completely unhurried. It's powerful. It's loving. If you've been praying for such a long time for something to happen and it happens and you're overjoyed and people come along and in an unhurried way rejoice with you, that's loving. How do we know that's loving? Because that's what Jesus is like. To be a community that blesses, in order to bless, we need to be able to first have been blessed. Blessings have always been more powerful than curses. Blessings have always been able to affect more change than curses. And so to be a, a community that blesses people where they are in the hopes to introduce them 
to the one who has blessed us in a way that our cup overflows. You see, Jesus would have us say that the cup is never half full or half empty because what he's made available to us through his suffering sacrifice is for the cup to overflow. So we're called to be a community that, if possible, pursues peace, and a community that doesn't act out of revenge, but in such a way that makes room for the presence of God to fill the situations where we've been sinned against. And we're called to be a community that demonstrates hospitality. Before St. Bart's, I could never have conceived of any type of circumstances that would have me desire to stand in a bustling playground in 90 to 100 degree heat while wearing black. But I'd never been to St. Bart's. And so it's not on one of us. It's on all of us. You could tell I'm not a sommelier because the cup isn't overflowing. But the cup overflows. He doesn't want us to leave his presence. The Lord is utterly unhurried when it comes to us. And his invitation is for us to come into his presence and to receive from him. Should we pray? Feels like it's right to pray. Let's pray. Lord, we lift you, our community. And we recognize that this passage is wholly impossible in our own strength. But to be the people you've called us to be, we need you. And so, Jesus, we need your help. And even now in the quiet, would you move in our hearts? For those of us in need of love, where our hearts have grown hard, where we've been hurt, disappointed, discouraged, would you come and pour in your love? Lord, would you teach us to be a community that blesses? Would you bless each one of us with your presence, with your love, with your hope? Lord Jesus, would you enable us to follow your model of not repaying evil with evil? Where it's possible, Lord, lead us to be a people marked by peace, centered on reconciliation. Lord, may we be a people where your presence fills those situations where we've been sinned against and wronged by others. And even now, Lord, we lift you those in our community who are in need. We pray for those who have suddenly lost their jobs. We pray for those who, whose hearts are troubled either because of a reversal in circumstance, the loss of a loved one, the loss of a relationship. 
we pray that you would help us be loving. Help us as a community to be patient. And help us to be swift to act in how you lead us. We also lift to you those who are sick in our midst, for our loved ones, for those near and dear to us. We ask that you would bring your healing to bear on their bodies. Lord Jesus, we ask that you would move in power to use this week ahead to reframe our perspective that we might see afresh what it looks like to be invited to be hosted by you where the cup overflows. And we ask all of this in your name. Amen.